Hey man, where's my microphone at? Space 22, Gorilla. 22? Oh my god. Dirty dog! Why me? Why me? Why me? Ah. The Cho Cho Chosen One. You're listening to Main Event Status Radio. You started it. You want to go to war? You got a war. You started it. We gonna finish. With Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210. What is the fate of WCW? And... I own WCW. The Dirty Dog Darcy. You wanna fight, man? You wanna fight? You got one. Only nobody tells me what to do. And she thought nobody tells me when to do it. Now let's get into the podcast. Live in Atlanta, Georgia. Live in the basement in the CNN Towers. We're here to make your back crack, your liver quiver, and your knees freeze. We wine and dine with kings and queens. We slept in alleys and dine on pork and beans. We are the hit breakers and the record breakers. I am the dirty dog, Darcy. Joining me is Mr. Beverly Hills. When together we make 400 plus pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal known as Made Event Status Radio. Wow, thank you for that introduction. That is just, it's, it's the tops. But what, but what else would I expect from the Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour, the man of the hour, Mr. Dirty Dog Darcy. To be funky like a monkey. <laughs> you got Ever it. Say. <laughs> you got it, brother. So, Mr. Beverly Hills, we've been doing a lot of running since the last podcast. We've been out of breath. Yeah. Well, it doesn't take a lot to get me out of breath, but Same here. We've been out of <laughs> breath since pretty much that when we recorded the podcast, few podcasts go on top of the CNN towers because we've been chased by the security guard that trained me in a several, well, a couple months ago because he's <laughs> angry. We've been living in the CNN towers for the last few months. Yeah, we've been squatting in the CNN towers for the last two months. I, I guess that's like kind of frowned upon. That's not really above board CNN tower policy. So yeah, we've just been kind of ducking and diving and dodging throughout the CNN tower the past week, just hoping to get through this last last chapter of Death of WCW. Uh, they don't like, the janitors don't like the fact that we've been sleeping in the boardroom. We've been sleeping <laughs> Ted Turner's old offices. We've been sleeping in the bathroom stalls. I've been stealing the toilet, toilet paper oh. for Kleenexes. Yeah, I put, I mean, just garbage everywhere. Just, I don't know how to use a garbage can, so. Just like Ralphus. <laughs> we're from Slamberty 2000. He doesn't know how to use a garbage can either. <laughs> so we're here to cover part four of the death of WCW by Brian Elvers and Artie Reynolds. Part four entitled The Death. Yep. On chapter seven, 2001, The Ultimate Swerve. Yes. So where were you at as a pro wrestling fan in 2001, Mr. Beverly Hills? Um, 2001. Uh, I dare say 2001 would be kind of the uh, nadir of my wrestling fandom, kind of, kind of the bottom, because I guess like the, you know, the death of WCW the last few months and then the invasion really hurt me as a wrestling fan I don't know if it was just because there was one thing and it was booked so poorly or whatever but um, you know I don't recall a lot of 
like toward the end of 2001 and into 2002, this is when I stopped buying pay-per-views, um, which I think we had gotten like all of the WWF pay-per-views in 2000. I don't think I got any in 2001. Um, so yeah, this this was kind of the, the bottom. How about you? I I guess we'll get into it here in the podcast, but I, well, yeah, during this time I was only able to catch SmackDown every Thursday night on UPN, and I remember Tuesday morning, the day after WWE announced on WCW Nitro that they bought WCW, when my friends told me the next day that that happened, I didn't believe them at all. And I remember the Invasion storyline uh, playing on SmackDown, and and I, I went to one of my friends friends's plays during the uh, during the summer on vacations, you know, whatever pay per view weekend or whatever. Yeah, for the pay-per-view weekends, I would go to his place on Friday when Mom went to work. She dropped me off, and after work Monday night, she picked me up from, from his place. So I was there for three nights, and I remember going over to his place for the King of the Ring, for the Evasion, and I was there okay. for Survivor Series, and this may say a lot about the Dirty Dog, but I oh, does it? seriously believed at the end, WCW may beat, or the Alliance may beat WWF. I, I believe... Keep, keep it k brother. Yes, brother, brother, brother. Well, then again, I wasn't as smart, quote-unquote smart, as it was now, or as I am now back then, so... True, true. But I was, yeah, hooked, line, and sunk, you know, sunk... Hook, line, and sank on the whole thing, and yeah, I remember, yeah, after the pay-per-views on Sunday, on Monday, my buddy and I would go with his mom to the casino, and we were in the like the arcade section, and like after the King of the Ring pay-per-view, after the Invasion pay-per-view, I think there was one more in the summer between that and Survivor or SummerSlam. That on Monday, on that Monday, we saw kept seeing, seeing the same kid, this same boy, who was also a big wrestling fan, and he asked us what happened at the pay-per-view the night before, and all that. And my friend and I always kept on giving him crap, of, you know, making stuff up about that. And, <laughs> <laughs> just to get him up, work, uh, worked up and all that, and yeah, we're not gonna. Was see this for, a worker or is this just somebody who's wandering around? A kid that was just wandering around, like another <laughs> kid just like us. So we were just monkeying with him, like, hey, we aren't not gonna see him ever again. If not, maybe in another month. So whatever. <laughs> so th- those were fun times. These Danny. are good times. This is a, a glimpse into the world of the Dirty Dog. Or the dirty puppy back yeah, then. These, these have been the life and times of Dirty Dog. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, the Chapter 7, 2001, the ultimate swerve, which I know I might get a lot of flack from Mr. Beverly Hills this week, but I have to open up the Dusty Roads inspired Mellow Yellow at the start of the podcast. I, I, I don't flack at all. Because I feel like. I had to open up a can of yellow in honor of WCW. <laughs> to pour one out for your homies. So, because this is uh, Mr. Beverly Hills' favorite, Chapter 7 eclipses the pages 359 to 374. A very, very, very short chapter, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yes. Oh, man. And I was sure welcoming it. <laughs> I'm sure you were as well. Especially with chapter six being like a hundred pages and a hardback, right. and a few chapters, a couple of chapters before that were like sixty pages a piece. Like chapter seven blew by. Besides talking about chapter seven, we'll be for a few minutes talking about the epilogues that came with the book. Yeah. Yep. So, I'll kick it to you, Mister Beverly Hills, to start out the podcast. Okay, sure. So I had the first point here. So I was I was just reading the first couple pages and I was talking about kind of the climate of WCW in 2001 and it was you know speaking a lot about the fact that um, nobody seemed to really have their feet to the fire nobody really seemed to be uh, you know all that worried because it said that they were really just waiting on the fact that like well if we have a hot angle or if we have a hot um, character there's a good chance that that will spark interest in fans. That'll make it turn around. And I guess my my thought on that is just like, 
does that happen? And I'm asking you that uh, now, I guess, you know, is it a storyline or sorry, is it the hotness of a character or a storyline that made people watch or is it that fans are now for some reason starting to tune in and they connect to a character or storyline? I thought it was kind of like a chicken or egg question, but I thought I'd, I'd ask you what your thoughts on that are. I guess that, you know, tying it back in with WCW back in 96, that, you know, Hogan turned, Hogan turned heel. And right. the ratings didn't turn right away. It took time. It took months to turn around. And, and it seemed like, you know, WCW after that, they pretty much want the instant gratification of the, the instant rating and not look back to their history and see, okay, Hogan's heel turned, the, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. The ratings weren't there right away when they first showed up and Hogan first turned heel things started to pick up over time. Right. And I feel like in 2001, you know, in January 2001, they expect, you know, instant gratification, you know, instant results, and I don't know what could be done to get that, you know. Look look at WWF on the other channel during this time. They had The Rock. They had Steve Austin returning. And I guess, you know, to your question, it seemed like, you know, fans were into those two characters as the two top faces. And they were going into WrestleMania 17 that year, clashing for the WWF Championship, which, at least back then in 2001, I wanted to see. Yeah. You know, we didn't see that match that often. It's, you know, at least for WrestleMania aspect, the last time they fought was two years prior at WrestleMania 15 in Philly. But I guess, I don't know if it's... Well, hot storyline as in the NWO, hot characters as in The Rock and Steve Austin. Stuff like that I feel like has to build over time. Yeah. The fans' interest and not, I guess, yeah, just build, it seems like it builds over time. People, fans got into the characters of Steve Austin, The Rock, Undertaker, Triple H, Scott Steiner, Sid, Hogan. I don't know, I was trying to think of top WCW stars that, you know, back then. Right. But, you know, it's like, you know, fans can relate to a certain character then go from there and well I guess yeah go ahead yeah you know I agree that I think it's an overtime thing like even when you look at like the character of Steve Austin or whatever you know that was starting back in 1996 1997 and WWF definitely didn't see like an immediate you know turn on a dime success they didn't really start seeing that, you know, until um, nah, WrestleMania with uh, Mike Tyson. I think that maybe you could kind of mark as the real turning point of their fortunes, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that yeah, WrestleMania 14, that they built up Steve Austin for like a year and a half. Uh-huh. From when, when they came to the ring in 96 to winning the title for the first time at WrestleMania 14 in 98, that's just took time to build up Steve Austin from a heel to a face that people wanted to get behind. Well, yeah, and I think it just, like, kind of blew up from there. So, I, you know, so I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm still torn. I don't know if I have the answer. Just, like, if the promotions become popular because they're presenting an inherently, like, good product, or if, or if just people are tuning in because they're tuning in. Okay, think of it. As mentioned a couple within the last few podcasts, you're a fan of Lucha Underground. No, it is. Yes, correct. What what of Lucha Underground caught your eye and made you a fan of Lucha Underground? Well, see, like, that's a good question. See, like, that's the thing that I'm talking about. Like, to me, they're doing an awesome job. Like, this is, like, top-notch. In-ring, character-wise, storyline, everything's awesome. Now, they aren't... They don't see the viewers that were, you know, that would need to make them the top promotion. So this is where I'm getting with my question. I'm not sure if you're, like, understanding my question. Like, they're doing a perfect job, I think, but they're not seeing the viewers. So what I'm saying is, like, in 2001, WCW could have been doing the exact same thing. They could have been doing exactly what Lucha Underground is doing where they're doing an awesome job but still not seeing the viewers. So, oh, so that's what I'm 
So you're asking what could WCW have done to get the viewers back? Or could they have done anything? Honestly, I feel like up to this point, I felt I feel like they burnt their fans out way too much. Right. Which we taught, which we talked about the last, pretty much ever since Dark in '98. With even before that, with you know Nash beating Goldberg with a cattle prod, uh-huh. you know, with silly booking decisions over time, and you know, not we're gonna be I'm gonna beat this dead horse again, but not build up new stars mm-hmm. when they had the chance when fans were behind them. Right. Always going, always going to the same well from the, since the '80s with Hogan, Savage, Hall, Nash. Or I guess the last two weren't from the '80s, but. Yeah, yeah, they kept on going to the they kept on going to the dead horse and beating it when fans wanted to see something new and something fresh. And I, I guess I just feel like the fans are just burnt out by January two thousand one. That and when they get get behind a new guy, WCW is just gonna exnay them. Right. So yeah. So that's what I'm saying is like I don't know what the folks in WCW were thinking where they were saying to themselves and in meetings or whatever that, well, all we need to do is just hit on the next star. All we need to do is hit on a hot storyline. I don't think so. I think they were dead in the water. And I think the, you know, I think the well was poisoned. I don't think anybody was, um, you know, going to WCW at that point. Okay, we'll kind of talk about, you know, dead in the water. I got, you know, I'll go to my, my first point from page 359. Do it. And I quote, from the beginning to the or from the beginning to the end, even as Rome burned around them, those in charge of WCW felt that if they had nothing else, at least they at least they'd always have television. I wanted to, you know, take that note down, take the quote down, and I guess pose this question: Do we think that those who had power would have done things differently if they would have known? Other bad booking decisions could have got would have got them canceled off of TNT and TBS. Well, I sure would hope so. <laughs> I think that I I sure would hope so. Just and you saw and we'll see in this chapter. Whenever there was the a, after they get canceled or whatever, whenever there's the possibility that well, there's a new owner in the house or whatever. Um, it seems like things are attempted to be picked up things are attempted to try to you know turn the corner so uh i i think they always would try but you're right that they always just well we have the time slot we're not going anywhere somebody will buy it because we have that to fall on um and as we'll see that was kind of a fool's errand i guess if to me i will get get to later but i felt like the best thing for WCW came years too late in, in Jamie Kellner, but we'll get to that here in a little bit. But I felt like WCW should have had somebody at the top of the head that viewed, I, I guess, made WCW change when they needed to change. And yeah, that, that wasn't, right. In essence, a wrestling guy that viewed wrestling as, I guess, like, a, I don't know if a TV program would be the best thing, but... No, I, th- I think they did need someone who viewed it as a TV yeah. program. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, that need, yeah expected to build to change. You know, build the ratings over time. And okay, we're gonna give you this season, however long they want. Put that season in quotes as okay. If we don't see a change over nine months, twelve months, whatever, we're canceling you guys. Or or you need to make some serious changes. Then. Yeah, and go from there. So, but uh, I'll go to my next quote from page three sixty. WCW's ratings prior to the NWO invasion were flat. People people argued, not unlike the numbers that the company were doing during the collapse of two thousand. Obviously, things turned out back or turned out fine back then. So there's no reason to expect anything different now. Let's see if I reworded my question to a better question, Mr. Beverly Hills. Okay. Hogan's heel turn turned WCW around in 1996. You know, I guess kind of like what I mentioned earlier, I guess we were trying to talk about what things could have turned WCW around in 2001. Well, that's the point. Yeah, we talked to, we, we really, okay. I think, I, guess, I think we addressed that very well, that uh, I don't know if there was such a thing that would have done that. Okay, so in essence, walking into 2001, WCW 
shot ruddy had both their feet shot out from them from themselves. yeah it was gonna be really tough for them to turn around i don't and i mean we saw that they did and i don't know if it would have been possible if they had okay i'll go to my next quote again from page 360 ted turner had had been approached about shutting down the company several times in the early 90s he always exonated the idea because he truly believed that wrestling was cyclical Cyclical. Yeah. Cyclical. Plus, because wrestling had been such an integral part of the superstation that gave birth to his media empire, he had a soft spot for it in his heart. Pretty much everybody in the industry believed that as long as Uncle Ted was around, WCW would be safe. Okay, my question is, since WCW was Ted Turner's baby... Should he have been more strict with WCW brass, giving them, giving them expectations that they had to live up to, as in money, ratings, etc.? Yeah, because he kind of, you know, just let let them, you know, play with house money and just do whatever they needed to. That uh, and, and it and he bred that culture that they're that they were thinking, you know, as long as Uncle Ted was around, WCW would be safe, you know. He needed to, you know, with hindsight here as our advantage, he needed to help hold them to expectations and, um, you know, put them to something that they needed to live up to. Your thoughts? Yeah, that I guess while we've read it over the, you know, read it through the book and talked about it over the last several hours in the series. Uh, yeah. That. WCW, whoever, you know, the bookers and, and all that had bad decisions and which led them to where they're at in 2001 and I just wish that Turner, either himself or had put somebody there as a head of WCW would give expectations on, on things way before the 2001 and I guess, yeah, I just agree with you with all your points that you made that Turner should have put his foot down or had somebody else put their foot down years sooner. And it also came years too late. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, okay, then, uh, I think I hope I have the date correctly. January of 2000, Gerald Levin of Time Warner, the Time Warner CEO, and AOL's Steve Case struck a deal to merge into one company. Ted Turner ended up with three percent of it. Do you, since you are the history buff of the podcast, do you have any history of this back then, or, or yeah, do you just have a history of Time Warner and AOL coming together, or, or yeah, or anything of that? Yeah, when AOL and Time Warner merged into AOL Time Warner, it was a uh, you know really big deal, and it was. It formed the largest media corporation in the world at the time. Um, now, looking back, and you saw there's a quote from Ted Turner, and it's saying that that's the worst decision he's ever made was signing off on that. But it it was really, really bungled. They lost billions of dollars in one quarter, you know, Um just every everything kind of went south between them. You know, obviously, when's the last time you heard of AOL? I haven't heard right. of AOL yeah. in years. Yeah, right. So, I mean, like, that, they lost the their portion of the media share on um, their internet properties and whatever. They kind of never changed with the time there. But that's really kind of a... Uh, in a nutshell, what went wrong with the whole mergers? It was very poorly managed, and they um, had really troubles from the beginning. I mean, as you can see, um, they announced in January of 2000 that they were merging. That that merger didn't actually go through until about a year later. So, okay, which makes sense. They put it in 2001 uh, yep. chapter, I guess. Um, Time Warner. That would be Ted Turner's company with merged with who? Guess, or is, is Time Warner? Is Time, Time Warner? Yes. That's Turner's company, right? Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. Because I guess I'm. I guess I never remember hearing about Time Warner. Time Warner being Turner's uh, company. I guess I. Yep. I guess I never heard 
the uh, official company title of Turner's company, if that yep. makes any sense. Yep. So, okay, I'll go to my next note. On January 11th, 2001, Bischoff and his, and his investment group, Fusion Media Ventures, announced that they had purchased the company. Which I kind of laugh about, or I guess kind of giggle about, because you and I were talking off-air in emails that I have a little make, magazine that Mama D subscribed to me back in the day called Wrestling Digest, in which I think <laughs> it's like pretty much a quarterly thing, and you know I'll kind of talk about that here with this quote, because there's an article in there about WCW's slow, long death, according to uh, on their cover, that... But I guess, do you feel? Well, I guess, what's your thoughts on Bischoff being interested on in buying WCW and getting some backers to help him purchase it? Well, that would be an interesting, an interesting deal. But as we've seen with, uh, you know, I guess in a couple of different stages in TNA, uh, it's difficult when an on-screen character is the actual dollars and cents owner because everything really begins and ends with them. And I guess I'm surprised, you know, that Vince, I don't think has ever really fall, fall, fell, sorry, fell into the trap of, you know, leaning on himself too much or putting himself over on TV all the time. He's always willing to, you know, be the, play the fool. Um, you know, I don't know if Bischoff would have done that, and I feel like we would have just gotten a lot of kind of uh, junky storylines, a lot of Eric Bischoff on uh, television. I don't think it would have been so so well received. Yeah, that's that, uh, uh, your thoughts on that. Yeah, one? that that. Well, I was going to uh, talk about this at different different date, but uh, from yeah, this Wrestling Digest or uh, magazine from April two thousand two. They they have a have an article about yeah WCW's death. Um, the article article is called WCW RIP. Vince McMahon and the WWF could have breathed new life into WCW, but instead they killed it by Steve Anderson. But I, uh, there is a one a short paragraph that I wanted to read from from this that ties in with ties in with Bischoff and all that. Uh, this is from page 56 from this magazine, and I quote, The positive vibes from the early days of the WWF's takeover now were in hollow, but the death of WCW was was not an act of sabotage, nor was it su- uh, subfergal. I can't even speak today. I'm just not excited. The best of intentions and the best laid plans fell short. Many felt that WCW's only chance of survival was the WWF. Surely the media glosses AOL Time Warner, WCW's previous owner, couldn't make it work. Potential purchasers Eric Bischoff and his venture group Fusant would only continue the dysfunction, the dysfunction of overpriced veterans and underutilized mid-carders. Unquote. I guess it just seemed like that. You know, I laughed. I read, read this article a few times and. And all that because it seemed like that, yeah. The, the author of this of this article just, yeah, I guess I agree with the author of the article that approached. I can't see Bischoff changing his ways, even if he is the owner of WCW. Yeah, I I guess I'd agree with you on that one. That I just, yeah, I can't see Bischoff changing, even if he is the one that has to, I guess, live up to backers. Yeah, well, he is. He, you know, he would be. He would whatever, have to, he'd but, be the face of that. But I guess, yeah, that seemed like Bischoff didn't want to over those over the years. I guess, yeah, he didn't seem like he liked to go to the well. I guess he liked to beat this dead horse and didn't want to go to a different horse and try it out. Right. So, I'll kick it to you for your next uh, point. Well, I just was wondering if you think this was actually real, uh, or do you think this is just a pile of bull? It seemed like it came across real that Bischoff at least was interested on in buying the company. In interviews I've heard of from him and all that years later, that he supposedly was interested in buying the company. But no, well, of course he's interested. That's not the question. Do you think he had the money? Do you no. think he had the backers? No, 
Okay, that's what I'm asking. I did not. Sure, he had the plan. I can say I wanted to buy WCW, but I didn't have uh, several million dollars to do it. Yeah, I don't feel like he actually had the money or backers because obviously he didn't buy and end up buying the company. But I feel like it was just a bunch of smoke that Bischoff was blowing out of his rear end. Okay. So I go to my next quote. Bischoff had big plans for the company, and from page three fifty four, there was. There was going to be a brief shutdown, perhaps as long as a month, and then a huge, fresh restart. He was going to push the cruiserweights to the moon. He was going to set a salary system similar to WWF's, whereby guys would be paid downside guarantees, then bonuses based on how successful house shows and pay-per-views. He had, he, he said he had, he was going to phase out older guys and push the younger, uh, the, the younger guys harder. Unquote. Then introduce American fans to international talent and quote, no more Russo. Unquote. That was from <laughs> page three fifty four. I guess just simply looking at those bullet points, could that turn the company around? In your opinion, Mister Beverly Hills? Um, if he if he held to it. I would agree. I would think so. Um, I don't know if he would have. I think, like, it just seemed as if... Now, I don't want to, you know, cast aspersions to uh, Eric Bischoff when I don't know know the man, but, um, you know, it always seemed like he had a... Uh, you know, very, very deep interest in, you know, being liked by the the big guys of the industry, you know, the Hulk Hogan's of the world, right? Um, and it seemed like he would always kind of go back to them. Uh, and I don't know if he would have lived up to that. Yeah, I just can't see Bischoff turning things around. And, you know, the points laid down that he was supposedly going to turn the company around Okay, if he's gonna live up, you know, follow through with those for how long? Right. I, I just looking at his previous track record, I can't see things changing. Exactly. Yeah, I'll go to my go to my next point. Jamie Kellner, chairman and CEO of Turner Broadcasting Systems, entered the fray within the first week of the job. He ruled out ruled that all wrestling programming was to be canceled on TNT. In TBS, do you know who Jamie Keltner is? Mr. Yeah, Beverly he's Hill? just he's just a longtime uh, TV executive. Uh, he was at Fox when they kind of went from being like a niche uh, network into a you know one of the big dogs. Um, he was at WB doing kind of the same thing. He gained a reputation for like um, really courting the young female demographic. Like he was at Fox when they had things like Melrose Place and 90210. And then he was at WB when um, they had things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, uh, you know, Gilmore Girls and things of that nature. So he kind of has a reputation of um, going after that that uh, part of the market. So, um, so Jamie Kilner brought upon Mr. Beverly Hills 90210. I guess. <laughs> so, but yeah, since then, his biggest, I guess, like claim to fame has been a, a real... Um, negative feeling toward DVRs. He says it's like stealing because you don't watch the commercials. So that's that's his big thing. Then, uh, do you know if Turner, uh, Turner Broadcasting Systems was a subset of AOL Time Warner? Yes. Okay. Go to my next... That's the point. That's what, yeah. it, what they okay. merged. They bought. Yes. Just wanted to make sure. Since <laughs> I know nothing about mergers and all that fun, Jenna. So people don't know about the podcast over the last year. Okay, I'll go to my next quote from page 372, and I quote, It seemed a shame that WCW should end in such a manner. It had, at one time, a tremendous fan base, the largest the wrestling world has, had ever seen. Sadly, the egos of men such as Kevin Nash and Terry 
Hulk Hogan will lay a cripple the company by forcing its spotlight to remain focused on them instead of other younger stars. This caused many wrestlers who could have helped WCW usher in a new era to instead help usher in a new era in the WWF. When they left, so did much of WCW's fan base. Those wrestlers that stayed with the company until the bitter end had lost all their drawing power and were eventually nothing more than another paycheck the company had to write when it could ill afford to do so. Unquote. I guess, you know, I guess ways to play the devil's advocate. Is it fair to to blame Hogan and Nash solely on the demise of WCW? Well, you, they didn't. You picked out a paragraph, but the next paragraph they blame Bischoff and the people in charge. <laughs> fair enough. So, so, but I do think they deserve to get a lot of blame, um, and or without blaming them, you know, individually, they can be held up more as like a symbol of a greater issue, which we have talked about several times, which would be not creating new stars. So is it fair that they are on the cover of Death of WCW or that they are seen as like, you killed WCW? Maybe not. But as, you know, we are a simple people, humans. (laughs) It is easier for us to say you, or as Hulk Hogan would say, you in blaming things. So I would say, is it fair? Yes and no. Okay. Because uh, you know, their them and their like uh, did cause the death. Okay, because I guess uh, yeah, it should be. I guess I didn't take. Obviously, didn't take note of. You know, That's authors it. also putting blame on Bishop on. Mm-hmm. I guess. You know, I do see where the authors are getting at with putting the blame on Nash and Hogan on those guys. I guess being great at being a polit- being politician, yeah, on, right? Being able to do what they do, get the best amount of money that they can, and keep their positions. And you know, I guess, like I said, in ways it would have been nice to have somebody, somebody like Jamie Kellner or himself and the company sooner and putting his foot down years earlier for they won't be where they're at. Yeah, and I always feel like sometimes it's unfair to, like, I don't know, like, wrestling's a strange business because it's tough to say to a person like Hulk Hogan or Kevin Nash, um, yeah, I think you should make less money. I think you should stop trying to put your family in the best position possible. Well, who am I to say that, you know? Who am I to say that you need to stop doing what you need to do? I guess that's why the real problem is that there was no one who said, um, sorry, okay, no one who said, like, you have to step aside. Like, they kept getting more. They got their booking positions. They got the full creative control, whatnot, whatnot, to the point where they could do whatever they want. And now that's an issue, you know? So Yeah. yeah. Then I'll go to my... Well, I guess I wanted to mention that, that, that you know, not to you know keep blaming certain guys but I, and hitting the certain topics, but... I can understand where Bischoff was coming from back in 95, 94, you know, bringing in Hogan's and Savage's and Hall's and Nash to get the fans, you know, from the WWF or from the 80s back in the company, back in the wrestling, and then, you know, using them to help build for the future. But that didn't mm-hmm. happen. So which right. also got them to where they're at. But, yep. you know, we've talked about that many a times and all that, so... I'm going to leave that dead horse be. 
Well, it's called the theme. It's called a motif. It's something that, you know, it. it's not that we're just like bringing it up for no reason, you know. It is important. It's not like that I keep bringing up Yappa Pie or something like that that's like in the end very inconsequential. Like, this is, I think, the reason why WCW died. The reason why it is no longer around. So the fact that we keep going to it eh, it kind of needs to because it's the most important thing (laughs) so don't feel bad mr dog is what i'm saying my next quote is from page 373 and i quote in the end the final blow to wcw was as often the case in television a decision made by a tv executive in a boardroom jamie kellner had never been a been to a pro wrestling show in his life. He didn't he, he didn't see pro wrestling for what it really was, a business that could reinvent itself countless times over. He saw it as a TV program with a shelf life like any other. Unquote. To me, I felt like it was a cheap shot at Kellner saying that he wasn't a wrestling fan. And he it seemed like that the officers painted Kellner in a way that he his sole purpose was to get WCW off of TV. So I want to get your thoughts about that. Yeah, I I would agree with you. Um, because I think more he was he was looking at this new acquisition, this new merger, and he was looking at the cost of production versus the ad revenue. WCW was a huge loss. They were losing exponentially more than they were bringing in. Now, it's a fair point the author brings up that wrestling is a different beast than a normal television show when you just look at cost versus reward because wrestling is... As, as we're doing right now, a culture unto itself. It's something that, you know, breeds fanaticism, uh, breeds the type of people who would uh, take two hours out of their Saturday afternoon and talk about wrestling 15 years after the fact. You know, so he doesn't know that part of it, but that's not why he was hired. He wasn't hired to go into the minutia of each what each program or each part of their portfolio. He was hired to create a network that made the most money. And that's what he thought he was doing. Yeah, I guess my next question is, I guess you may have answered, uh, do you feel like Kellner, not being a wrestling fan, being in his position hurt WCW because he didn't see WCW as, well, the authors said, a business that could reinvent itself countless times over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I kind of touched on that, but it's, it's like I said, like he didn't know that part of the, part of the business or part of the the programming, but he wasn't hired to do that. Like I said, yeah. so then uh, let's see. I think this is a great point you have, so I hope you can find it on your notes. Oh, my next one? Yes. Okay. I was just reading it, but, you know, just seeing if we should talk. Okay. I feel like, yes, you should. I feel like <laughs> Turner should should have hired Kellner or someone similar sooner because someone like him would have, would have expected the right results out of WCW and put their foot down sooner and hopefully put a stop to their decline years earlier. Yep. I would as wholeheartedly agree with this as I could. I think, you know, WCW in particular, but really everybody needs an oversight. Um, And in 1998, if someone in programming, someone like Jamie Kellner could have said, whoa, 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 look how much, you know, bad things are over the horizon. You know, this does not have to be a one-man show. Why couldn't we have somebody like 
him representing the network, working with the wrestling guys to create a product that would be successful. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, that, I, know, I guess I was kind of hesitant at mentioning that since I felt like I kind of asked that earlier, but I guess I do, I do like your point on bringing in Kilner or somebody like that to work with Bischoff or whoever was the top WCW executive and working things out and, and, and all that and I guess being like a tag team on, okay, let's, this is where I'm, uh, as in Kilner, like I'm seeing this red, let's turn it into black, let's figure mm-hmm. out what we can do to keep this afloat. Yes. Okay. If you need to, Mr. Beverly Hills, cut me off when I, when you feel like needed since my next quote is like a couple paragraphs. <laughs> okay. So cut me off if needed to discuss. Okay. This, this is from pages 373 to 374, and I quote, If it had re- remained widely profitable like it, ha- like it has been in 1998, probably mistyped for me, uh, as, it, as it has been in 1998, perhaps it would still be around today. Instead, it, instead, it was a company where Hogan, Nash, Bischoff, Russo, and their band of merry mis- misfits sealed the company's fate with nonsensical storylines, historical awful TV, ridiculous overspending, and a complete inability to create new stars, Marathon else that have been written about in this book. Unquote, and in this podcast, and I quote again, all of these things together made it very easy for Jamie Kellner in his first week on the job to look at some of the, some pieces of paper, see some numbers, and after the highs and lows of 13 years under Ted Turner, who due to a corporate merger no longer had the power to save it, pulled a plug. And that was the death of WCW. Yes, at the end of the day, that was the death of WCW. Um, it was, uh, at the end of the day, just a television property, and it was cut. You know, as we're seeing, God, with this freaking long, slow death of TNA, <laughs> the television slot is the thing that's most valuable. And I guess we saw... That you know that wasn't always the case, but that's starting, I guess, with WCW became the case that having the the television slot is what keeps you alive, and having network backing. So, um, yeah. Okay, okay, I got one more par- final paragraph to read, and Mr. Beverly Hills, <laughs> just for you, I have to open up a. Dr. Pepper with real sugar. Oh. The one, with, the one with the green funky can that you were called out <laughs> a few podcasts back. That's what it looks like, man. And, uh, yeah, last paragraph. Those in charge of the company never predicted that things would turn out this way. <laughs> and that what that was perhaps the biggest irony of all for a company that took pride on fooling its fans and and even its own employees. It was WCW itself that got the ultimate swerve. Yep, they thought that they were going to be around forever, just, you know, changing or 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 whatever through time. But uh, like it said, they were the ones that got swerved, that got uh, something unexpected and ended up losing their spot. And ultimately, you know, not like... The, kind of the theme of this chapter or one of the big points was that um, people were willing to buy this company you know different uh, concert promotions or, or other things like the Fusion Media or whatever if that was real but it was all really contingent on the TV slot and without a TV slot it became a lot less valuable and even when McMahon did end up buying it one of the things that ended up hurting the invasion is that he couldn't get another TV slot on his networks and he couldn't keep or he couldn't grab that one on TNT because of the you know battle between Time Warner and Viacom but yeah so I guess you know, we talked about that before but I, I, I don't mention before too that WWF had a 
program on Saturday nights, I think called Access or something like that. I don't know why they couldn't turn that into a WCW show, but, you know, like... Yeah, Access, access and Confidential. Yeah. You know, like I said, you know, quoted from the Wrestling Digest article earlier that that's one thing, you know, they talked about, too, was, you know, at Viacom, X-Nade, yeah, the, the idea of, you know, like you said before, too, that X-Nade McMahon being on TNT and TBS because that's Viacom's competition, that McMahon tried to incorporate segments of WCW on WWF programming, which didn't work out. Then they turned into the Invasion storyline, which didn't work out. But um, yeah, we you know we were gonna talk about the epilogues. You know, the first one talked about the invasion storyline, which we talked about a lot with Captain Obvious Trade Dent a couple months ago. Then the second uh, epilogue was talking about TNA, and this you know this series we wanted to dedicate towards WCW and not really TNA, so we aren't really gonna talk much about that. Right. Um, yeah, as you said, the first epilogue we covered fairly well with the the, the captain, Captain OMG, love his name on Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, so the as you know, as we talked about for like two hours on that one, the invasion obviously a pretty pretty badly bungled uh, storyline altogether, um, and this book covers that fairly well. Um, the second one, if you you know, if you want to laugh, it's it's all kind of like the dumb, stupid moments that TNA has done. And it's now going on. Oh, I saw this. I thought this was an interesting thing. I saw this a few, couple months back, maybe. Now, as of then, TNA has actually been around longer than WCW was. That's, a That's hard to... Yeah, I think that's kind of hard to wrap your head around. But, you know, WCW as a as a thing, as an entity of its own, you're separate from the NWA, um, came about in 1989, ended in... Uh, 2001. Ended in 2001, duh. Uh, TNA started in 2003, or I think? Yeah, 2003, I want to say. 2003, somewhere yeah, so, around there. Right, and either way, either way, yeah. Because now, 2015, they have actually survived longer, um, despite not a sniff of the uh, the heights of WCW. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's something to think about. Like TNA has always kind of, if you can imagine my hand, always kind of been like here, right? And it's had little ticks up and little ticks down, but it's always kind of been in this kind of lower range. WCW was like, boom, we are way out of the stratosphere and then just turned a corner and down the hill, right? So maybe it's something to say that when you don't reach those heights, the lows aren't as low. I don't know. Yeah, I guess, you know, kind of talked about impact, pun intended, but <laughs> WCW and T- TNA, I guess, final thoughts about WCW. Do you remember anything about the weekend that WWF bought WCW, or do you remember anything of the last broadcast of WCW Nitro? Well, I was, I definitely watched it, because, but only because I was watching Raw, <laughs> and um, they flashed to... Oh, the sweater! The sweater Shane McMahon was wearing, and so then I flipped over to Nitro because I was like, "Oh, this is this could be cool." So, uh, yeah, I think, and that was probably the first time I had watched Nitro in months at that point. Fair enough. That yeah, like I mentioned earlier, beginning of this podcast, that that you know I did only had you know basic basic TV and didn't was able to watch the Monday night shows, but I remember on Tuesday. And my friends would come in school and they would tell me about this, that WWF bought WCW, and I was totally and utter shocked about it, even though WCW sucked, you know, for a few years, <laughs> a yeah. year and a half. Like, I still couldn't believe that, that that's what happened. And I you know, kind of tied in with that. You know, another time being shocked was when WWF changed its name to WWE, and <laughs> I was remember being shocked about that, too, because I still didn't have cable and... I remember one of my friends saying that, 
yeah, they're keep plugging WWE and especially during the European title match. Get the f out. I don't know if they were doing WWE and for Europe and because it's during the European title match, like whatever. But yeah, I still back WCW, but I remember WCW being surprised to hear on Tuesday at school that WCW was sold and the Monday Night War is over. Yeah. It was a big surprise. So, a big surprise is, instead of going to our plugs right away, Mr. Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's a perfect time for it. We thought we've been corresponding with one another, if you will. It's easy yep. times. Or <laughs> hard times aren't easy, Daddy. As what Jimmy <laughs> Buff would say in regards to Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> we thought we would bring back the top five list, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yeah, and I missed it. This is a good top five, too. And we are doing, I guess, a top five list of what, uh, I guess, in a way, it's top five things of WCW. Uh, approach five things that we tie in with WCW. I call it top five memorable moments. Let's do, let's call it that. Okay. Or, I, or my version is top five things I think of WCW. But, but that's really wordy. Just call it memorable moments. Fine. Top five okay. memorable moments of there you go. WCW. There you go. Okay, I guess I got. I am uh, totally throwing everything out the book since my list doesn't make sense. So for me, <laughs> n- number five has to be WCW putting the WCW title on the Giant on his first television match. Oh, okay. I mentioned that because, you know, well, yeah, I mentioned before in diff- different podcasts that I'm a subscriber to an M- MLW podcast, and, you know, I'll get their VIP podcast, and on Fridays they have a show called Hell of a Deal with Kevin Sullivan. Okay. Talk about booking of WCW Nitro, and, and this past week Jericho also had on his podcast The Big Show, and they talked about putting the title on Big Show right away and both Kevin Sullivan and his, on his podcast Big Show on Jericho's podcast when he talked about how huge of a deal that was to put the world title on somebody brand new and okay. I can't ever see WWE ever really doing something like that so I feel like yeah. one, one thing that I guess I gotta give WCW credit was at least they were willing to try to give this new guy the ball as their as a face of their company and go from there. So I guess number five for me has to be the giant winning the WCW title on his first night in the company. Sure. Okay. That's an interesting, yeah. And it definitely a memorable, definitely a, you know, going out on a limb for something. Okay. My number five is the first Monday Nitro at the Mall of America. Uh, and I guess the appearance of Lex Luger at it. Uh, very, very memorable. Very like you know the first shots fired in the Monday Night War, um, all that. Which I like. Uh, what, what might be on my list later on? Who, who's to say? Okay. My number four has to be Ric Flair versus WCW. Okay. Just because you know, we've talked about this in the pod, on multiple podcasts, but yeah, I remember seeing Ric Flair. You know, I. I some nitros I do remember from '98 when I still had cable was you know the whole Ric Flair versus Mick Bischoff storyline and how much it you know me be, I guess you know, since Flair I guess had his roots in Minnesota how much it affected right. me as being a big Flair fan back in the mid to late '90s how much it sucked not seeing one of my favorites on TV every week. Yeah. So I guess that's another memorable thing you know with that one. I think Night in Charlotte on Nitro bringing back the Four Horsemen and Flair's awesome promo that yeah that ha- to me is a memorable moment. Definitely. Okay, my number four. We have touched on it in the podcast a couple weeks ago. Steve Mongo McKnight, Steve Mongo McMichael putting quarters on Eric Bischoff's eyes after David Flair knocked him out with a roll of quarters. Oh, one of the more fo- one of the more foolish things that ever happened, but extremely me- uh, memorable for me. 
always makes me laugh when I hear you uh, talk about that. And just my mental image of seeing Virchov lay down and seeing Mongo put quarters on his eyes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just goofy. Talking about something that isn't goofy, my number three has to be Goldberg winning the WCW title from Hogan in the in Georgia on w, on Monday Nitro. I talked about this during the 98 podcast that uh, <clears throat> that at that time that uh, I wasn't a fan of Goldberg. And my brothers, wanted, Daddy Sunshine and Nate, wanted to watch Hogan versus Goldberg, and they were huge Goldberg fans. And hold on a second, take a swig of soda for the working man. Okay. That uh, uh, I was tied in with their excitement and the fans' excitement seeing Goldberg win the title. Well, that is actually also my number three moment as well. And I think it was really a chance for for WCW to, you know, kind of go for it and kind of, uh, you know, hitch their way into a new star who was very uh, popular and very hot at the time. So, yeah, that's that's my number three as well. My number two, which I'm pretty sure is not on your list at all, Mr. Beverly Hills. Slamboree, 1998. <laughs> okay. For the, well, I guess not the pay-per-view, but a segment on, okay. on that pay-per-view. Yes, you've, man, you've really wanted to talk about this one. This has been hot in your shorts, so. Bischoff's challenge to McMahon. Because <laughs> for some odd reason... I swore, you know, I know I rented that on VHS back in the day, and for some reason, might be just my memory fooling me, but I thought I remember on the v, renting it on VHS that for some reason when McMahon's, <coughs> McMahon was supposed, he was supposed to come out, his theme song played, which was No Chance in Hell. Yeah. Which, oh, which didn't, didn't debut until like <coughs> January of 99. <laughs> what? You okay there, bro? Yes, I am. Um, just okay. at times I get a tickle in my throat like that. But that, well, for it's like reason, the tickle you give me in my heart. Yes. That uh, I hope you. Oh, I hope you don't cough into your heart, Beverly Hills. No, it makes it go bo 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 bo. But no, that, I just I guess our, you know the No Chance <laughs> in Hell theme song was the Rumble '99 theme song, and yeah, Vince used it ever since for his theme song. And for <laughs> some reason, my memory. In my memory, I remember when McMahon was supposedly coming out, they played that theme song, which doesn't make any sense. Sure, yeah. But I guess I'll kick it to you for your number two. Okay, my number two is Sting winning the title at Starcade 97. Um, like, I, I guess these top three are all moments where, you know, things could have turned for the good or did. But, uh, yeah, my number two, Sting winning the title at Starcade 97, could have been a huge uh, moment where he could have taken off as a big star. I am pretty sure our number ones are the same, Mr. Beverly Hills. Okay. My number one What's your number? has to oh, yeah, be okay. the new, 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 new world order and Hogan's heel turn. Yes, and mine is also that. Mine is also the heel turn of Hulk Hogan and the formation of the new world order. I am sure that most everybody... When they think of WCW, that's what they think of is you know, Hogan's heel turn that laid up for around the world, Brother Jack. <laughs> yeah. In the early early stages of the NWO format. Yes, definitely. So we might as well get into the plugs for the podcast. Let's do it. Let's do it. You guys can listen to us on our website, maineventstatus.com. Also, again, it's maineventstatus.com or at SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Mid Event Status Radio. That's SoundCloud.com slash Mid Event Status Radio. Mr. Beverly Hills. There's no, I'm already I'm already pissed. I'm already my my blood's already boiling. I always, always forget about this third way to listen to the podcast. So I'm just cause we gotta you gotta listen on iTunes. Find us in the iTunes store, rate, subscribe, comment. That's the only way that we are going to beat the Ross Report, beat that hashtag saucy attitude right out of Jim Ross, and get to the top of the rankings of wrestling podcasts. 
and talk about hashtag saucy attitude. You guys can interact with us on the social media with hashtag saucy attitude over on Facebook, <laughs> facebook.com slash main event status radio. That's facebook.com slash main event status radio. You guys can also talk to us, interact with us, sauce us over <laughs> on the Twitter machine. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can the hashtag saucy attitude conversation with you on the Twitter? I am at Beverly Hills MES. Find me there. For me, you guys can interact with me at Dirty Dog MES. That's dog as in D A W G, Dirty Dog MES on the Twitter. Mr. Beverly Hills, do you have any final thoughts on the year that was 2001 or any final thoughts on the company that was WCW? Oh, man, I don't think I do. Very sad. And I have, I guess, one final thing to say about the about the about World Championship Wrestling. For Mr. Beverly Hills, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. We'll catch you guys next time on the beaches of <laughs> Panama City Beach. Keep it saucy. Amazing. It should get you should get much more time than anyone else. That is our show. Good night, everybody.